Welcome to Jewelry Artists, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Karen Smith, founder of We Wield the Hammer. A trip to Senegal helped change her focus, and she decided she really had to expose young Black women to metalsmithing. She talks about it today. Karen, I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. You're welcome. I know you're super busy. You have a lot going on. You're managing your own artistic business and self, along with creating a whole new program. So why don't you start with how this program developed, and then I'm sure we'll have a lot of questions as we go on. The program developed out of uh, a trip that I um, made to Senegal. I woke up one day and decided I wanted to do an apprenticeship there and actually created one for myself. And while I was there, I, um, I noticed that there were lots of young women um, and especially girls who would come by and watch me because, you know, I was the only woman in the shop. And, um, and one child in particular used to come by every day and sort of stand in the doorway and look and look. And after three or four months, I, I asked my teacher's son, I was like, what is with this kid? This kid won't speak to me. I mean, kids love me. And I would speak to this kid in four different languages. Oh and goodness. she would just stare. And finally he said, well, she thinks you're a ghost. And I was like, get out. Why would she think I'm a ghost? I mean, he was like, because she's never seen a woman do what you do. Wow. And I was like, but she's been seeing me do it for the last three or four months. And he said, right. But he's never seen, she's never seen anyone else who looks like you do it. And in that moment, we will, the hammer was born because I thought if now that she has seen a woman doing this, if she grows up and decides that she wants to do it, who's going to teach her? I mean, the way that the practice the way that the the vocation um, is transmitted is from father to son to son in, in the culture. And so, um, and in fact, even before I went to Senegal, when, when I decided I wanted to go and learn some traditional techniques, um, a Senegalese American man said to me, don't you know that Senegal, they have a saying in Senegal that women don't wield a hammer. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. And he was like, yeah, well, it's time for that to change. And so he was one of the people who who helped me sort of find my way because you can't just go and study at a university like there aren't classes or anything like that. And so he was one of a handful of people who helped me pull together uh, an apprenticeship. So why Senegal? (laughs) The truth? Yeah, because I woke up one day and I heard a voice say, you need to spend you're going to spend your birthday in Senegal. Wow. And I thought, oh, OK, <laughs> because I'm old go enough with that, huh? that when I hear a voice say X, I go, OK. And then that day I got my first uh, commission for gold wedding bands um, because I'm a metal artist. And. uh and because it was my first commission, I had never worked with white gold before. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. 
Of course I said yes. <laughs> Say yes, then learn, right? And then, exactly. <laughs> and then after I had quoted him the price, he came to drop off the deposit. I realized that I had completely undercharged. Of course. Um, and between the time that I uh, said yes and, um, and got to talk to him, I realized that white gold was way more complicated than yellow gold. I mean, there's white gold with palladium, there's white gold with nickel, you know. And so when I was going to bed that night, literally the voice said, you are going to learn how to work with gold in Senegal. And I thought, good. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I've traveled a lot in my life. Um, Actually, I've been to five continents now. And Senegal was not necessarily near the top of my... um, finishing out my travels before I die list. Um, I mean, I wasn't opposed to it, but there are other places that I thought I wanted to see before Senegal. And it's actually changed my life. It sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Did you, in addition to finding out that you needed to share your knowledge, learn so you could share while you were there, it sounds like um, it also, I mean, it was for you too, in a lot of ways and for your own skills and it what was. You needed to know. It was. And so, you know, actually, um, I'm a former academic, right? And so I have always placed a high value on formal education, but I am a self-trained artist. And that has continually and constantly um, tapped into insecurities that I have about not being formally trained. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very clear that... Um, you know, this is an art form that one can master without um, without formalized training, you know. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, you know, old habits die hard and old tapes die hard. And sure. so, like, I keep, you know, I, I, one of the things about that apprenticeship for me was some formalized training. Um, and so I, I feel more secure about what I know because I've had a teacher, um, even for uh, a short period. And, you know, I, I have also always been a teacher. And so I find that um, this work I could I couldn't imagine not sharing this work. Uh, when I started thinking about We Will the Hammer, I knew it needed to incubate here in Oakland, where I live, because um, young women here don't have access or opportunity in the same way. I mean, if I were gonna if I were gonna be perfectly honest, when I first decided that I wanted to work with metal, I did look at um, at schools here, you know, but I was clear I was not going back to college. Um, and just looking at some of the other places uh, where I could go and study. I mean, I just didn't have tens of thousands of dollars to do it. Right. And so when I think about, um, when I thought about creating We Will the Hammer and knowing that I want to bring it to Dakar, And other places. Um, I knew it had to incubate here in Oakland and it has. And 
young women are taking advantage of it and thinking about new um, courses of, uh, uh, you know, new ways of of being, new job opportunities, new uh, creative different ways of study. Exactly. And so um, as the program grows, um, there are going to be opportunities for them to uh, do things like um, apprentice once they finish this program, if they decide they want to become jewelers, you know, there'll be opportunities for them to apprentice and there'll be opportunities for them to learn how to start a business. If they decide that that's the direction they want to go, there'll be opportunities for them to work with other kinds of metal artists. You know, uh, the whole point of the program um, as I first envisioned it, when I was thinking about it in Dakar, is empower is financial freedom and empowerment for women there, and access to this beautiful art form. And here in the U.S. Um, in general, and in Oakland specifically, the same thing is is necessary. The same thing is needed. Yeah, you can see how it applies right at home. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about how the program, what it looks like now, and and then we'll talk about what you aspire it to look like. What it looks like now is an eight week program that teaches uh, fabrication. Uh, and we work with copper and um, brass and silver. And the program is is. Um, the program is concerned with building skills and not necessarily uh, creating pretty things. So, you know, like there are classes that you can take and, you know, an eight, an, a weekend class of eight hours or something, and you come out with a lovely ring, um, but you don't walk away with the skills. And with my program, um, we are, we are, um, we exist to teach fabrication skills so that if you walk away from this program and, and even want to sit at your kitchen table with a butane torch and some metal, you could create something that you wanted to, um, and not just one item that you learned. So really um, a foundation in all the different techniques absolutely. That, they can, that they'll use to grow on as they go through. Absolutely. And that they can take to different things. Um, they can take in different areas because, you know, some people might decide that wedding rings are a thing that they're enamored with. Some might decide that, um, they want to do straight CAD. Um, and some might decide that they want to go on and be lapidaries, cut their own stones and then, you know, create art jewelry or something. You this know, is so exciting. I love it that. Is exciting. I just can't it's, wait to see what they make too and what how this grows over the years. You know, I can see you have a real vision for it and I, I can see where you're where you're going, I, I think. I have a great vision for it. And I can tell you, I'm happy to tell you that we had um our winter session in January. It ended right before COVID hit. And uh I decided that uh with each session as they build their skills, we're all going to work on a project together, including me. I work on a project with them because I think it's important for them, you know, as I alluded well, to, representation is important, right? So it's important for them to see me creating as well. 
So in our program, uh, at the end of our program, we exhibited a quilt that we had done together. And when oh, I first nice. told them that we were going to make a quilt, they were sort of like, what? <laughs> I thought what does we that have working... to do with <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Mm, but I thought we were working with metal, you know, it was just mm-hmm. really, it was really fun actually. Um, and so we made this, uh, we made this quilt and, uh, and it's beautiful. And I, and I, they each had a, a four inch square of, uh, brass and silver and they designed it their own. They each designed their own square. And then I sewed them together. Nice. And it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And that was your first group of young women to come through your class? No. The program started in 2019, and it's been located in an industrial arts school here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first class was last July, last summer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and then we weren't able to get on the calendar again until January of this year. Oh, I see. And it's one of the reasons why we have really been looking um, steadily for our own studio space. Because, you know, you lose momentum when you're not able to continue to um, offer classes. And, um, you know, we have been so fortunate that they uh, allowed us to incubate there. but you know, because they are a school, they have their own classes, they have their own, um, they have all kinds of, um, events and things that happen there. And so the kind of time that I believe we need to build our skills, we, we really haven't been able to garner there. So for instance, our classes are three hours a week. I would like to have, I would like them to have at least three hours of studio time. That makes sense. Yeah. So that they can practice their skills. And then I would like them to have time with me aside from the class in case they have questions, in case they have, you know, they need one-on-one time. Sure. Kind of your office hours. Exactly. Exactly. And with our own space, we can actually make that happen. Um, with our own space, we could also have um, drop-in, drop-ins for people who have gone through the program and who are brushing up on something. We could have, sure. you know, there are, there are ways that we can build the program up with our own space. And, um, but of course, that takes um, a lot of money. <laughs> right. I'd imagine you're going to be doing fundraising, have been doing fundraising. Probably I have been doing fundraising. I have been doing grants, right, writing grants. I, and, and I've sort of been doing it all myself, which is why I'm Hard. glad we're on a podcast and not on a video chat. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like right now what the program looks like, it's in limbo because of COVID. Uh, because when the school cut, uh, shut down in March, um, we of course couldn't have, have classes and, um, they have since reopened, but of course they are reopening really slowly and trying to be mindful of, um, new regulations around social distance learning and, 
and all of that. And, um, and they have to, they also have to pay attention to, uh, classes that bring money in so that they can continue to operate. Right. Right. Like they were offering us the, uh, uh, space to use. It was sort of an in-kind donation for us, but like right now they really have to focus on like trying to bring revenue Making back into money. their school. Yeah. And, and, and which totally makes sense because, you know, they're really, um, an important part of Oakland history. Um, and so right now I have been, uh, looking and, um, looking for our own studio space and well, we that'll hope be to great secure when you're one able to do that. Yeah. We hope to secure one by September. Oh, okay. That's um, soon. Absolutely. Uh, we have been partnering with, uh, a couple of, um, important, uh, vendors who are helping us with tool donations and helping us manage our own wish list that we have on our website so that um, we can outfit the studio. We have plans to start offering classes again in January. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. But you're not really looking at doing an online model. You really want it to be in person. It needs to be in person because, um, you know, these are, these are people who haven't had any access to or any introduction. It's very beginner. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, you know, um, in order to learn how to use a torch, you have to have a torch, you know, you have to have sure. hammers, you have to have those things. And so you need to be in a studio space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what you find and it's going to be a beautiful setup. I bet. Oh yeah. I am so excited. And, um, you know, the hardest part is living in the Bay area and finding, um, affordable, uh, sustainable space, right. Right. You know, everything is so expensive. It is Mm -hmm. a huge challenge. You know, I wish somebody would just say, you know, Karen, this is such a great program here. I'm going to give you this building. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) Let's just keep putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, we're, while we're on that topic, I mean, I know that listeners will want to know how they can help. So I know you mentioned that you have a wish list on your website. We do. We have a wish list of tools on our website um, so that you can go and uh, make a donation. Great. One way that metalsmiths and other people in the field can support us is by donating your scrap to us. Um, through Rio. We have partnered with Rio and they have created a, um, a scrap donation program. And we also take donations um, directly on our website. They are tax deductible. We are fiscally sponsored right now and we take donations uh, because we have a lot of money that we need to raise um, to launch this program. So um, those are the main ways that um we can help and we also have merchandise right uh we have yes um, i've seen the aprons Those are cool. <laughs> yes Very we nice. have lovely lovely shop aprons that you know we like to um we like to post about them on social media because when metalsmiths and other people in the industry support black women metal artists it means everything it means everything because the lack of access and the lack of opportunity afforded to women 
and to people of color in general and black people specifically is so um, second nature that we don't even necessarily notice it. You know, we're in a really important historical time and I've had people, you know, contact me and say, you know, how can we help? How can we help? And, you know, you can help my program, um, which I am amazingly grateful for and will make a lasting impact. But one of the ways you can help is look around in the organizations that you support. Are there black people in those organizations? Are there women in those organizations that have any kind of power, decision-making power? You know, um, I think, I think that if this moment is going to mean anything to us, um, really looking at access for everyone is I how we're going to change more. it. Is how we're going to change it. And so when people say that they want to support us, you know, um, they can support us by making this program happen. I think it's going to have a lot of ripple effects, Karen. It probably already does. I hope so. I hope so. And that's why if you go to our Instagram and, you know, I hope all your listeners will like follow us on Instagram and, um, and get involved and, you know, come to our website, sign up for our newsletter. I think if we, you know, I like showing off um, people in our shop apron, people in our t-shirt, because representation is important. And I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I think, I think you're so right. Do you, do you, um, so let's say I buy my apron which I'm going to do. <laughs> and then I should hashtag we wield the hammer. Absolutely. On my photo. You should. Okay. And then you should take a picture of yourself looking very, very lovely. Although I have to say what's really interesting to me <laughs> is people take pictures of themselves in their apron and it looks so fresh and new. And then I look down at myself <laughs> in my apron and it looks like, <laughs> I'm That's like, the no, made for I want to, right exactly. <laughs> like I want messy hair and smudged fingers and a filthy like a hard day at work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We need more pictures like that. Please, everyone. <laughs> we could change the world. I know we well, could. Um, let me ask you, this is amazing. The program. I'm all for it. And I, I'm going to do whatever I can to help support it too. And you, and I'd Thank like you. to hear more about how you are able to do your work. Has this become your work? This has taken over my life, unfortunately. And I actually have um, someone who is uh, sort of an informal mentor to me. And, you know, she emails me once a week and says, what have you made? What have you made? <laughs> And, you know, frankly, I, I haven't been in studio in a really long time because this takes up all my time. You know, I, can I see, have recently yeah. come to understand that I need a COO, right? Um, I need somebody to do the operations. Um, and so now I have a new line item for, <laughs> for your wish um, list. 
uh, no, for the budget. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, I can get a, a deputy director or a COO, um, somebody who can be a co-conspirator with me, but who can handle all the operation stuff while I continue visioning and growing the program. Um, and it's really important to me that I'm able to make when I can make something, it really is, um, it brings me a kind of joy. I have to say that there are a few lapidaries, a few gem folks who have joined in with a few jewelers and they are going to be making items, uh, to auction off to raise money for the program. Super cool. Super, super cool. And one of the lapidaries, um, has cut a stone for me. And so I'm creating something. I know. So I have to find time. (laughs) Right. You have the perfect excuse now. I have the perfect excuse so I can take this lovely piece of turquoise and create, Mm. um, a piece. And, um, so, you know, I keep trying to find ways in, um, so that I can do my work because I love what I do. Um, and once I I feel like once the program gets settled, like once we move into a place and we are unboxing and setting up and then I can breathe again, right. Then I can pay attention to my own art again. Um, and, 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 and get the, and, and surround myself with the folks that I need. That's why the fundraising part is so important because, yeah. you know, I have to be able to pay people like, to be perfectly honest, I've been working on the project for two years now and I haven't paid myself, but whenever I've had somebody come in and work with me, I always make sure I pay them and I have paid them from my own pocket. And that's not sustainable, not in the Bay area and just not you know, not that's not anywhere, a good business really. practice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I know what you mean. I mean, I think that you, a person, anybody who's birthing something new like this, you have to put your focus there. Oh, you because do. Because you want it to succeed and your art will always be there for you. I yeah. hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope it doesn't desert me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, well, it sounds like, um, I mean, it just, I'm so excited to to learn about this. And so thank you for sharing with us today. And I always ask our guests if they have a favorite piece of jewelry or gemstone that they'd like to talk about. So, so changing my gears favorite, a little. <laughs> <laughs> changing gears and going back, actually, my favorite stone is turquoise. Um, I love it And too. I love turquoise so much. For so many reasons. I mean, you know, the properties of, of um, turquoise is that it uh, deflects negative energy. And, uh, and I always need that. Like I always need a force field of light around me because I have so much work to do. Um, but I also love turquoise because turquoise really to me is like people. No, it, because it looks different depending on where it's from. True. You know, it's amazingly beautiful no matter what it looks like. And, you know, it's, it's both soft and hard, you know, like it's complex, but it's just beautiful. 
and diverse and for me just really represents what's beautiful about stones. I love turquoise. I love, I love, love, it love, too. love, love I'm it. actually wearing a big piece of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a huge turquoise ring that I bought from a fifth generation metal smith. I think he was out of De- uh, Detroit. Um, beautiful, beautiful brother. Um, and I bought this ring at a, at a, um, a festival in New York. And I wore it every day, every day. And then when I started making, I stopped wearing other people's work. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to make myself a turquoise ring. And so that's a thing that I have on my uh, list for this year to make myself uh, a big, because statement rings are a thing that I do. And so I have this on my list to make myself a beautiful, big turquoise ring. Oh, I can't wait to see it. You have to do that. After yeah, this absolutely. fundraising piece is over, then you can exactly. make your statement ring reward. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, I, I stopped wearing people's jewelry for a while, too, besides my own. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of like um, being with a friend, you know, especially if it, I try to buy the buy pieces from people I know. Mm-hmm. And so when I put that piece on, I'm like, oh, that's my Marcella day. Or that's exactly. my cake day. Or whatever, you know, it is mm-hmm. fun. It is. I mean, and I like supporting other other artists, um, you know, and I have expensive tastes, un- unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, um, but I really, uh, I really enjoy showcasing my own art. Well, and I think how you said it's a kind of a protect turquoise being a protective shield but so is our own work yeah and especially when someone says oh i like your necklace and you say oh thank you i made it exactly there's nothing finer there's nothing finer and if you think you don't have an ego when someone says that to you you're like oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) i mean i have literally had people buy things off my body oh yeah so yeah yeah it's it's one of the fun parts of being a jewelry artist Well, Karen, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and I'm looking forward to hearing what happens next. Thank you. I really appreciate your intention and um, the opportunity to talk about the program. And I hope your your listeners will join us. Uh, we are on Instagram and we have a blog um, where we try to share what's going on with us, but also like what's going on with other women and girl artists around the world um, because we aim to inspire and motivate in ways that we have been inspired. And um, and you can always visit our website. We are www.wewillthehammer.org. Yes, I think your website is really inspiring too. I had fun looking at your Instagram and I'm following you now too. Yay! So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry dash artist dash podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, a special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. 
Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor, and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.